grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text is today's Gospel, and I read again verse 29. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Dear sisters and brothers in Christ, it says in 1 Peter, the end of all things is at hand because the next big event in the history of the world will be the coming of our Lord Jesus in power and great glory. And that's why the words, the end of all things is at hand, don't contradict our Lord when he teaches that there'll be a lengthy delay before his coming at the last day. In last Sunday's parable of the wise and foolish virgins and today's parable of the talents, Jesus teaches such a delay. The bridegroom takes his time before arriving for those who will escort him to the wedding banquet. The master goes on a journey for a long time. And while we wait, we're to be busy in our master's service. Before departing, the master entrusted his slaves with large amounts of money. As I said to the children, according to today's values, a talent was worth over a million dollars. But Jesus used such an illustration, shows that God provides us richly with all that we need to work for him. Well, we look firstly at what those talents are. When we moderns talk about a person's talents, we mean a person's God-given abilities. If someone is a good sportsman or musician or a gifted writer or actor, we say that that person is talented. The word talent, used in that way, has been taken from this parable, yet in the parable, the talent or talents are given according to a person's ability. There's a distinction between what the master gives and what today we call talents. In the parable, the talent is a special gift our Lord gives his people to be used in his service, and it's given in keeping with a person's ability. Some have regarded the talents as the revelation God gives of Christ. And the reason for coming to this conclusion is that in the parables of the kingdom or reign of God, virtually the same words are spoken as are found in today's gospel. After Jesus told the parable of the sower and the disciples asked him why he spoke to the crowd in parables, he replied, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the reign of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We do better to regard the talents in a broader way, that we're to serve our master with all that we are and have. All that we are and have comes from him. Our position in life, our standing, our calling in life is given from God according to our ability. All that he gives is to be used for him. Consider the story of Esther from the book in the Old Testament by that name. She was both beautiful and humble. Her talent was to be made queen of Persia. 
Her cousin, Mordecai, had brought her up as his own daughter after her mother and father had died. Though Mordecai had no position in the court, he kept an ear open to what was going on there. When he refused to bow down or pay homage to a courtier by the name of Haman the Agagite, even though the king had commanded it, Haman, in his fury, devised a plan to have all the Jews throughout the Persian Empire put to death. Esther, who hadn't revealed her identity as a Jew, could have remained quiet and have enjoyed a life of luxury. Instead, at Mordecai's urging, she risked her life to defend her fellow Jews. Esther used her influence with her husband to save her people. The account of how she turned the tables against Haman and how the king decreed that the Jews were allowed to defend themselves on the days when they were to be slaughtered is one of the many dramatic stories of the Old Testament. Or consider a recent identity British actor David Suchet. For many years, he played the role of Poirot in the Agatha Christie series by that name. David Suchet's ability was to be an actor. Because his father was Jewish and his mother was a nominal member of the Church of England, he was brought up without religion at home. He regarded himself as an agnostic. For a while, he tried Zen Buddhism, but concluded that it was an escape from reality. At the age of 40, while soaking in a hotel bathtub, I didn't know actors had time for luxuries like that, he thought, I've got to find an answer. He leapt out and went looking for a Gideon Bible, but his hotel room didn't have one. When he eventually obtained a Bible, since he was fascinated by St. Paul, he flipped straight to the epistle to the Romans. For seven chapters, he says he couldn't understand a thing. But then starting with chapter 8, he began reading about a way of life he had always been looking for. What troubled him is what the New Testament says about Jesus and the resurrection. So it was another 21 years before he was confirmed in the Church of England in 2007. In 2012, he produced a two-part documentary in the footsteps of St. Paul. Two years later, he produced a documentary in the footsteps of St. Peter. As well, in 2014, he completed a 200-hour audio recording of the entire New International Version Bible. So if you were to read eight hours a day, it would take you just over a month, and you'd, be, you'd have read through the whole Bible. About this project, he said, it confirmed my faith, even in the most difficult passages full of blood and guts, which people often shy away from or think, how could a loving God be like that? But in Jesus, we meet a God who is full of love and compassion and gentleness. Yes, he can be angry, but to see him reflected in Jesus is incredible. To use the language of this parable, David Suchet has great ability as an actor and speaker. Then, along with being brought to faith in Jesus, he was given talents opportunities to serve God and his fellow human beings by producing documentaries with a Christian message and an audio recording of the entire Bible. I'm not someone great, you might think. God hasn't made me someone who can influence others. But we're to use whatever he does give us
for the good of others. If it seems to you that he hasn't given you much, consider what greater thing it is that he's given you your life. Even greater is his gift to you through Jesus of eternal resurrection life. We're to use what he gives us for the good of our neighbour. In so doing, we give glory to God. In the words of Martin Luther, Christ doesn't need our good works, but our neighbour does. You and I have been given different talents that we're to put to work. In 1 Peter 4, there are verses that speak about the need to use the gift one has been given in view of the coming day of the Lord. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Note that the gifts of speaking and of serving are from God. Some are to speak, that is, to preach and teach God's word. Some are to serve in other ways. God gives gifts according to the abilities of his people. He doesn't expect more from us than we're capable of. Not many Christians are capable of producing movies. Not everyone is suited for teaching Sunday school. Not everyone has a gift for visiting others. Some might be able to provide encouragement by phoning a fellow member. Others whom age has wearied may only be able to pray. God entrusts to each according to his ability. But what God does give us is to be used in his service. There'll be no excuse for the servant who buries his or her gift. And that's what the third slave in our text did. Our Lord has him say that he hid his master's talent because he was afraid of him. But that's only a lame excuse. If he'd been really afraid of his master, he would have done something constructive with the money he'd been given. He could at least have deposited the money in the bank so that there'd be interest that he could hand on to the master. No, the third slave lost sight of the goodness of his master. He became bitter towards him. The master spoke the truth about him when he said, You wicked and slothful servant. God is hard towards those who in their wickedness and rebellion refuse to do what he says. The sad reality is that worthless servants will be cast into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. By these words our Lord calls us to repent of loss of faith in action and selfishness, so that we may both be forgiven and be renewed by God for service. For God is not as the third servant claimed. He's not demanding and unfair. Whatever he expects from us, he firstly gives us. His greatest gift to us is the gift of his Son. Though God from all eternity, the Son humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, then took on himself all our sins and paid for them by suffering and dying on a cross. His saving work done, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. 
He sends his spirit who empowers us with the privilege of being his slaves to whom he gives every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The good news of Jesus' suffering, death and resurrection speaks most powerfully about his immense love for sinners. We can easily become discouraged and become like the third slave who didn't use the gift he'd been given, blaming God for every difficulty and trouble in our lives. It's just then we need to be reminded of the goodness of our master. That goodness is summed up for us by his cross. And his cross is brought to us not only in his word, but also in his supper, in which he feeds us with his body and blood, given and shed for us, raised from the dead, and now ruling over all things. By his body and blood, he brings us his forgiveness, life, and Holy Spirit. He serves and saves us so that we may be willing to serve our neighbor in love. Only keep your eyes on Jesus. And when the Lord returns, he won't make a grab for what we've gained with what he's given us. The parable tells us that the first slave, who at the end has ten talents, not only gets to keep them, but is given the one talent more from the lazy slave. In verses 28 and 29, the master says, So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. Such a servant will have abundant, eternal, resurrection life that our generous God gives. Today's reading from 1 Thessalonians tells us that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. No one need be thrown into the outer darkness on that day. Only trust in Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on his love and mercy. Serve him gladly and you won't be caught out on that day. He'll welcome you on that day. Now if I might take some liberty with the parable our Lord told, but liberty that's in keeping with the scriptures as a whole, because God generously welcomes the person who repents. You might say to him then, Master, I didn't serve you as I should have with all that you gave me. I was afraid of other people and what they might think of me. I was a coward. There were too many times when I wanted to live for myself rather than for you. But I trust that you died also for me. You'll hear him say then, Yes, I recall every detail of your unfaithfulness, your laziness, your fear of others and your cowardly behaviour. But well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.